Father, I believe that there are many of us when we reach this time of the year, a time we know that our nation as well as your church and your people are focused, if not even fixated, on a spirit of celebration because of the gift of your child. And none of that is misplaced. We're grateful for the great gift, the demonstration of your love, even to us while we were yet your enemies, that you reflected and gave out of your love and gave us your son, Jesus Christ. But Father, we recognize in these moments that many of us struggle with the spirit of joy, of peace, and of hope that that gift should bring into our lives. Because there are burdens that we carry. There are wounds that we have experienced. For some of us, we feel like there's pieces of our lives that are missing because of the loss of a loved one. And we know in this season of time, we feel that loss, that missingness, if you will, so more clearly. And God, we pray for your comfort for those. God, that you would grant them a fresh experience of wholeness, despite the loss of one who was so special and precious to them in this journey. God, we also realize that there is just tremendous need around us, and somehow we feel this this reluctance to be too celebratory when we know there's such great need around us, not only in our own culture, but around the world, not only in a temporal sense, but also in an eternal sense, as people wrestle to discover who God is and what He can mean in their lives. And God, we pray for those areas of the world today where the knowledge of Christ does not prevail. For those nations where the proclamation of Christ is a crime, we pray for you, Father, to intervene and to elevate your servants with a great spirit of joy in those places. And that by the effectiveness of your power flowing through their lives, that the world might be different, just like it is because Jesus has come. And Father, we would also pray today for the many that stand out in harm's way around the world. Maybe something I'm particularly conscious of this time of year since I have two nephews, one serving in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. But Father, there are many that we know that are serving in places like that on both sides of the battlefield with a a tight grip on a firearm knowing that may be the only thing that keeps them alive. God, that's a hard way. And Father, we would be bold today even though we have no idea how it could actually come to pass because we've seen it so infrequently in history. But we pray, Father, that there would be peace. Not just the absence of conflict, but the peace that brings that passes all understanding. And Father, we're grateful for the gift of prayer. And we would pray today in the way that our Savior, the one born in the manger, taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Some of you who have been on the Builders for Christ trips with me know that my precision with a hammer isn't top-notch, let's put it that way, especially if you're in an odd place and you're trying to nail things in from a corner like when we were putting the rafters up this year. And I have this wonderful ability to hit all around the nail but not hit the nail. You ever had that sense? You know, you can just look at the, the nails in the middle and all the wood all the way around. It was totally pulverized, but the nail hasn't gone anywhere yet. And... Um, 
I bring that up because I some, feel somewhat like that about this sermon today. I feel like I'm all around it, but the main point is still something I haven't quite driven home yet, even in my message. So I pray today that God would speak and, the, and that you would hear him and, and not just me this morning so that he could drive the point home. You know, this is the time of year where in the office we get phone calls from folks we don't even know, which is a great thing. Sometimes it's people we do know, but they've, they're, they're working, serving, or whatever in a different capacity. They're aware of a need, and they call us and see if we can help with it a little bit. And, and often the refrain is, is that, you know, they're, it's, it's not like they don't have anything. They could just use a little bit more in order for it to be a, a good Christmas. You know that kind of a sense? That, you know, I got several of those calls this week. Well, we're, we're not starving, but just a little bit more would help us have a, a big meal, you know, and, and, a, and a great celebration on Christmas. Or if we just had a little bit more, we could provide just a, a few more gifts to the children, and Christmas would be that just that much better for them. And, and, I, and I certainly don't have any major struggles with any of those things, but when you, when you start thinking about that in the context of why Jesus has come for the purpose of Christmas. Here, you know, I'm receiving these calls, and all the while I'm studying in the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, the 10th verse, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Well, what does abundance mean in that context? And without a big enough tree or enough lights on it, or if not enough presents underneath it, without a big enough turkey or ham lying on the table on Christmas Day, is, is somehow or another we're just robbed of that sense of abundance? That there's nothing really to celebrate? Because much like you, my natural instincts when I hear that word abundance is to think very much along the, the material lines. You know, when we think about abundance, it means a little newer car. Maybe one that doesn't have over 100,000 miles on it. You know? Or we think maybe of a bigger home or at least a home that doesn't require quite as much work as the one we have. And the list just kind of goes on and on and on. Maybe, maybe I'm going to get that promotion at work. Maybe I'll get that year-end bonus that will help out with some of these year-end bills. And the list just kind of goes on and on. And then we have this kind of naturally inbred definition of abundance. And, and I often think that that inbred definition of abundance robs us of the real gift that God gives us in Christmas. It's the reason why Mary suffered all of the dynamics of being pregnant for nine months. All the hardness of getting out of a chair and the fact you couldn't sleep well at night. That's why she went through all of this stuff, is to give us this wonderful gift of abundance. It's why this, the, the DNA of the Son of God was implanted in a womb and went through all the divisions and developed you know, hands and feet and toes and fingers and emerged from the womb you know, with, with you know, baby hair and all those kinds of wonderful things and grew up as an infant to a toddler right on down through the list. It, it's why all of that stuff happened. Yet somehow or another, we can limit that wonderful gift of the provision of the abundance of God just by our very definition, our expectation of what it means for God to bless us with abundance. I've got a few stories I want to share with you this morning. And, and they come from different settings around the world. These are faithful believers of Jesus Christ. But we look in our own environment, and we have this natural instinct of what it means to experience abundance. It means to have a great place to live, more than enough food on the table, fulfilling career, healthy kids, parents who don't need a lot from you, all those kinds of wonderful things, you know. I want to tell you about a young man by the name of Topar. Grows 
lives in a Muslim nation. He is the only Christian in his entire clan. Not only his only family, but his entire clan. His clan is large and fairly prominent in their little village. And because of that, he has come under the watchful eye of many in that village because he is an embarrassment as a Christian in a Muslim family, in a Muslim clan, in a Muslim village, in a Muslim world. They've worked on him for years and years and years to recant and to renounce his faith in Christ. Recently, as in the last several months, he was arrested by the local police when they planted drugs on him. He's now serving a multiple year jail sentence and written into his verdict is that that he will recant christ he can leave whenever he wants now how do you think he defines i have come that you might have life and have it abundantly or what about another situation again in a muslim context a family a christian family one of the few in their entire village has invited their neighbors and friends over to celebrate a birthday of their child There's nothing particularly religious about the event. They're just celebrating according to their custom in that area of the world, this birthday party. But before they eat, they say grace. And the prayer is offered in the name of Christ. Within a few hours of the party, the local police show up and arrest the mother and father for blasphemy. And again, if they are willing to recant their faith in Christ, they can be released. You wonder how they define the abundance of God. Back in June of this year, I received an email, a prayer request from one of my friends, pastoral friends from out in the western part of our state. He has a, a very close connection with a number of believers in Asia, some of the former Soviet bloc countries. And he sent out this prayer request. One of the, request, said one of the largest churches in Tashkent, the capital of Uzbekistan, was raided by the secret police yesterday. The Church of Christ of Tashnet is officially registered with the government they, they actually don't register any more churches. This was in the first 12 to 18 months after the fall of the, of the Soviet Union. There was this great openness to religion, and all these churches were able to get registered, but then after that, it's virtually impossible. There hasn't been a new church registered in this area of the world in over a decade. The police interrupted the Sunday service, which runs about 1,000. The assistant pastor and the church administrative worker were arrested as a senior pastor was out of the country attending a conference. Individuals were interrogated at the church, and some were taken to police headquarters. The congregation was recorded on video and were asked to produce identification documents. All their names were written down. All their license plates numbers were recorded. Church computers were confiscated, and the electricity to the building was cut off. Building inspectors arrived with the police and searched the building, looking for possible code violations. Some church members took out their cell phones to film the raid, and those individuals are arrested. So here's what happened. The trial of the three men and the five women took place. All were found guilty. The men were sentenced to 15 days in jail. The women were received a fine of up to $2,000, which is a significant sum in that country. The electrical power to the church remains off due to fire code violations. However, the following Sunday, 500 people came to worship. You wonder how they define abundance. I could go on. Maybe one more story. This is a friend that I've been joining John and praying for off and on. It's a pastor over in, again, in Asia Minor. His name is Dimitri. He was arrested for the single purpose of the fact that he was an effective evangelist among the Muslims in their city. And he has been now in jail for multiple years at hard labor as a result. His wife and five children still live there. And this is kind of her confession, if you will. It says, you wake up every morning trusting that the Lord has heard your prayers, trusting that your husband will survive another day. 
Tears come to your eyes when you think of all, think of what he will have to endure today. Prison conditions are brutal and religious prisoners always have it the worst. In the labor camp, they are assigned the hardest work, the dirtiest work, the most dangerous work. You never eat the food if you had another choice. You would never eat the food if you had another choice. The water isn't always clean. The sanitary conditions disgust your imagination. Oh, how you want to be there to take care of him. But until he is released, you can only visit him twice a year. And when you see him, it's hard to keep your composure. He has lost so much weight. His skin looks different. His complexion unnaturally darker. He doesn't look healthy, and he complains of eternal pain. You fear that he will never be healthy again. At least he isn't suffering from tuberculosis yet. So alone at home, you write another letter, hoping that it will be delivered to him after the authorities have read it. You put the children to bed, comforting them when they cry about their daddy. It's so difficult to have to parent by yourself. It's so difficult to make ends meet, having to adjust to the loss of income. Thank God for the generosity of family, friends, and church. Thank God for His presence which sustains you when all seems so dark. Jesus said that His disciples would be persecuted, but nothing prepared you for the harsh reality of your husband's suffering. So you take comfort in reading Scripture and prayer, knowing that in prison He is denied a Bible and forbidden to make any expressions of prayer. Then you go to bed, entrusting to the Lord your loneliness and His protection every night. When you read stories like that, it makes at least me long for a deeper experience of the gift of joy that God gave us in Christmas. It makes me long for a deeper, fuller understanding of what it means that Jesus has come that we might have life and have it in in abundance. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to John's Gospel, the 10th chapter with me. If you use in one of our pew Bibles, you'll find the text on page 911. It's interesting that this statement was issued in the midst of a time of tension. In chapter 9, Jesus had healed a blind man who had been blind since birth. From what we can tell from the text, he was probably an adolescent. 16, 18, 20, 22 years of age. Something like that. There was great turmoil about his healing because it had been done on the Sabbath. And the authorities, the religious authorities, were all concerned about that. And with that, they believed that Jesus had done it by some demonic power. And so in the midst of this conflict, Jesus begins to teach the people, the disciples, about the meaning of being the ideal shepherd. And so in verse 7, Jesus says, So Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. See, I think capturing the real spirit of Christmas, the kind of spirit that lasts beyond just a few days tucked away at the end of December, but one that prevails all of life for us, is dependent upon understanding what the true nature of abundant living is all about. This life that Jesus came that, that we might have. So I want to spend just a moment and try to explore a little bit about this life, this abundant life that God has offered to us. And like I said, I, I feel like I've, I've banged all the way around the nail, but haven't necessarily hit it right on the head, and yet I'll let the Spirit do that in your own life. I think, first of all, for us to understand the nature of this abundant life that Jesus offers to us, we have to understand what this life is that He gives us. See, I think we read over that part. At least I often do. You know, we want to go right to the abundance side. You know what I'm saying? You know, we, we, so we just assume it's the life that we're living. 
It's life as I want it to be. You know, life, and, and that's not it at all. Notice what he says just before then. He says, though, if, if anyone enters by him, he will be saved. This is, re- you know, you can't be saved if you're not lost. You can't be rescued if you're not in need of some kind or another. You know, and, and with that, there, there is this sense that we need to understand that what Jesus is offering in this life, this life that he has come, that he was born in a manger and lived a perfect life and offered up his life, why he came was to offer the gift of salvation. It's being able to live in an eternal relationship with God without any of the relational consequences of sin because all of it's been forgiven through the cross of Jesus Christ. In some ways, that new life is really hard for us to envision. What's it like to live with that new life? And we can use all kinds of imageries with that. Again, just kind of banging all around the nail head. This is a couple things that, that God gave to me to reflect on. This life that Jesus offers us is new. If your life pre and post salvation, at least in your understanding, is pretty much the same, you got to wonder. Because if the life is just the same as we've always had, why did Jesus have to come in the first place, right? I mean, the reason he came, the reason why he was incubated in Mary's womb and born into this world and became just like us, us, even though he was the exact representation of God, the reason all that happened was so he could bring us life. It's not the life we already had. It's a new life. Is your life new? Is my life new? Well, in what ways? You know, because I... You think about the characters in the Christmas story. You think about the shepherds who had this incredible moment of the angels showing up and, and singing to them. You know, it, it, it was certainly a, an experience of a lifetime. But they went on with life. They still had some cold, rainy nights out in the hillside with their sheep. They had still had times they had to fight off the bear. What was new about their life through their encounter of Jesus Christ? Same with the wise men. Do you think the trail on the way home was all downhill? I don't think so. I think there were probably a few dust storms that went with the journey. You know, and, and you can just go on and on with the list, and yet somehow or another, as I think about this newness, it may not be a newness of circumstance, but it certainly should be a newness of purpose, a newness of passions, of values, and of desires, and of dreams, a newness of priorities. Any of those things different because Jesus has come, come into your life? That's the other word that really strikes me is this word different. Jesus came to bring us life. And it's a new life. And because of that, it creates a different life. What is it about your life that's different than the guy next door who has no use for God? I mean, that's the question that always strikes me. I don't know about the question that strikes you. But how is my life different than the guy who lives next door and drives into Boston every day for work and the guy on the other side who's now retired? How is my life different than theirs? Because if I have come to experience life, the life that Jesus came, the one that allows me to go in and out and to literally feast on the pasture of God, how is my life different? And if it's not different, am I really experiencing that life? I wonder if I lived in a place like Tashkent, if I would have been one of the 500 who didn't go back to church that next week. Or if I had been in one of those countries in Asia, would I have offered grace in the name of Christ? Interesting question to probe. You see, when we don't experience this life, this new life, this new life that creates a different way of living, we really haven't gotten Christmas at all. But then there's this word that we really love, this word abundance. 
The Greek word underlying this text, this, this word that we translated abundance, just it, it, it undoubtedly, just clearly means having more than anyone would ever need. That's how they use the word. When you have an abundance, it's more than, you could, than anyone could ever need. Kind of like our Thanksgiving meals, right? It's a lot like a lot of church potlucks, you know. We, by the time we get done, we have more food than when we started with, you know. It's just, it's more than anybody could ever need kind of idea. It's that kind of imagery that, that comes out. That's exactly what he means. And he said that he's come that we might have life and have it abundantly. With that, I think we need to understand that what Jesus is offering us is unlimited access to all the spiritual resources to live this new life in Christ and to be different. That's what he's really offering us. There is available to us more resources to live this new life in Christ where we can be totally different. We get to go in and out. There's, there's all the mercy we're going to need for, that would lead to the forgiveness of the ongoing sin in our lives, even though we've been forgiven of our sinfulness. There's all the understanding that we need to live with wisdom and discernment to, to, and, and to live with compassion towards others. There's all the strength we need to be faithful. It's, there's, all that stuff is there, but I really began to think, is, what is it like to live with abundance? And the only thing that came to mind to me was the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4. And I've listed the verses there for you in your sermon outline. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have renewed your, care, renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but you lacked the opportunity to show it. He's, he's the Philippian church has finally been able to get a gift, an offering to Paul to help pay for his expenses. It says, I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to both, I know both how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through Him who strengthens me. When you and I are living with abundance, we're content. We're content. Whether we got a lot, whether we got a little, whether we're hungry or whether we're stuffed and need to loosen our belts to be able to take a good nap, we're content. It's a hard thing to get there. I try to think about the definition of that contentness this week. And again, just kind of banging around the nail and let you drive it home. Part, part, of, the, part of what God shared with me, part of the, what was impressed upon my heart was that in all of our lives, there should be a sense of holy discontent in the spiritual realm. We should never just get satisfied with where we are or how God's using us or how faithful we're. There's always next steps to go. That's why Paul said, I forget what lies behind and I push on for. There always should be this sense of us holy discontent in the spiritual dimensions of our lives because there's always more of God to taste and to experience and to live out and to realize in our own lives. But on the circumstantial temporal end, there ought to be contentment. That somehow or another confidence in the goodness of God puts us at peace with the circumstances we're in. It's so easy for us to want to look around and compare. I'm faithful, and he's faithful, and they're faithful, but I got a little bit more than them, but they got a lot more than me, so how come I, you know, and, and we get into this whole, and contentment. What God offers us in the manger and completes on the cross is the gift of living now and forever with contentment, which simply is another word for joy. To live with joy. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you experience various trials. And joy, as the angels announced, is the very spirit of Christmas. So I announce to you this morning a message of great joy for all the earth. For today is born for you a child whose name shall be called Jesus. 
Let every heart prepare him room. Let's pray together. Father, we must celebrate that you have come that we might have life and have it abundantly. We ask for wisdom, God, to know that new life and how to live with that abundance. Thank you, God, for the gift of Christ. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the gift of abundant life that allows us to pass on the gift. And we pray that that would be truth this year. God, thank you that you are a God who's always coming to us. We seek to meet you now. In the name of Christ, amen.